Hi, Bomb Squad. Welcome to Food for Thought, a Radio Cherry Bomb miniseries. I'm Carrie Diamond, Editor-in-Chief of Cherry Bomb Magazine. We wanted to know what's on your mind, so we hit the road and went on tour to eat, drink, and talk with lots of you all across the country. Today's stop is Columbus, Ohio. We recorded this episode at the headquarters of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams, where we heard from seven women who are changing the local food scene. Thank you to Carrie Gold for supporting our Food for Thought tour. Carrie Gold is the Irish brand known for its award-winning butter and cheese made with milk from grass-fed cows from family farms all over Ireland. We'll be hearing more about their amazing products later, so stay tuned. First up, let's listen to a short talk from Paula Haynes, the executive director of Freedom a la Carte, a food business with a very important mission. Thank you. So excited to be here. So people ask me, why food? Why did we choose food service business for our social enterprise? Well, the truth is, our founders, Julie and Kay, simply wanted to start a social enterprise as a tool to provide jobs for survivors of sex trafficking who have severe barriers to employment. In their search for the right business model, the two discovered their shared passion for food and collective experience in the industry. So they took the plunge. They bought a food cart on eBay for $1,200, launched Freedom a la Carte, and started hiring survivors. Today, Freedom a la Carte is about so much more than just a job. We're helping women rebuild their lives. There are many practical reasons that the food industry makes sense for workforce training. The beautiful surprise is the kitchen also has proven to be an ideal environment for healing, restoration, and transformation for survivors. So I'd like to reflect tonight on a few of those unexpected ways that food is empowering the survivors in our program. The first way is by building community. For generations and generations, women have bonded in the kitchen. It's where we gather, right? It's where memories are built and where life's problems are sorted out. So it should have been no surprise to watch the women at Freedom become a family in the kitchen. It starts with simply working together toward one common goal, producing fresh, from scratch food for our customers. Every employee at Freedom quickly learns that teamwork truly does make the dream work. In the Freedom Kitchen, we celebrate each other's victories, like when a woman regains custody of her children. And then while scooping cookies together, we listen with compassion as that same mom shares how she's feeling anxious and alone and how that's triggering that ugly beast of addiction inside her. She admits she's starting to have thoughts of using and makes plans to go to an AA meeting with a coworker that night. And like your family in the kitchen, we love, laugh, sing, dance, tell stories, make jokes, and as expected, sometimes we argue. That's an important communication skill we refer to as healthy conflict resolution. The second unexpected way food is empowering survivors is by creating structure. As a business, we fully understand the value of a clean, organized commercial kitchen for operational efficiency. A highly functioning kitchen demands structure, but we've also learned that in addiction recovery, structure helps reduce stress and anxiety and helps those with severe trauma and mental health issues feel safe and secure. 
So cleaning up my workspace as I go is not only a best sanitary practice, but cleanliness creates a sense of calmness. And returning everything to its proper place in the kitchen helps create a peaceful environment. So as we're building these habits of order, structure, and cleanliness at work, survivors in our program are able to transfer these healthy habits of order into their homes and their personal lives. The third way food is empowering survivors in our program is by building confidence. Research actually shows that executing a recipe encourages focus and boosts creativity and happiness. We all know that receiving positive feedback and just seeing someone else enjoy, appreciate, and value our food has major implications for rebuilding our self-worth and value. That's powerful. I see this happen every day. Let me tell you, fruit trays are magic. I've seen extraordinary boosts in confidence by simply giving someone the creative task of taking fruit and arranging it on a tray. So yes, Bomb Squad, food is empowering. Women in the kitchen are empowering. And with those combined forces, Freedom a la carte is empowering survivors of sex trafficking to move from vulnerability and poverty to stability and self-sufficiency. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. I couldn't agree more. Food is so empowering. And we wish you and the team so much success at Freedom a la carte. Next, we'll hear from Kara Mangini, who some of you might know as the vegetable butcher. Hello, everybody. I am an entrepreneur. I'm a cookbook author. I'm a chef. I'm an owner of restaurants. And I'm a mom. And every day, I am trying to balance the privilege and the honor and the responsibility and let's be totally honest, the insanity and pressure of feeding both the public and my small kids. A little over 10 years ago, I was living in New York and I was talking to a mentor at a time when I was trying to build up the courage to leave my career and take a, a leap. And I didn't quite know where I was leaping to. And this mentor who was coaching me at the time asked me a question very directly. He said, if you could do anything on your day off, what would it be? And I am super, super, super indecisive. And I can tell you that I knew instantly. I knew in my gut. I knew the answer. It was to cook and to gather the people that I love. And it's funny because it wasn't until I was actually asked the question that I recognized something consciously that I'd actually always been in pursuit of the magic that happens around the table with the people that you love. And so... I set out with that core passion and purpose as my guide, matched with my knowing that there is a very deep connection between our food and health. So I got uncomfortable, really, really uncomfortable. I took risks, I made tough decisions, and I said yes to everything in order to pave a path, and until the path became more clear. I went to culinary school. I worked nights and weekends in all different jobs, working all the time until I took a leap. And I left my day job. I moved out to Napa Valley. I started working at a restaurant and on a farm. I started working on my cookbook. 
I started working on my business. In some crazy, only in the movies type scene, I ended up at the fancy food show at Moscone Center in San Francisco. And out of the hundreds and hundreds of aisles there, it's a massive, if you've ever been there, industry convention, I ended up at the Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams booth. And within moments, I met my husband. <laughs> and he convinced me to move to Columbus, Ohio. And he showed me and he told me about this extraordinary community that has a strong entrepreneurial spirit, that has strong roots in agriculture and small farmers doing incredible things that would support all of the dreams that I had in the food world. And he was right. And I'm so glad that I trusted that and I said yes and I kept saying yes. I opened pop-up restaurants. I started selling my produce-inspired salads at grocery stores. I wrote a cookbook. I opened a restaurant. I had a baby. Oh no, I got married first. I, got, I had got married first. <laughs> I, I opened a grocery store. I wrote a cookbook. I had a baby. I promoted a cookbook. I opened another restaurant. I had another baby. And there was so much more in between. I can't even keep it straight, right? So I'm here now. And I was open to all of these possibilities. And I kept saying yes and prepared myself to be the person to take on all those opportunities that came my way. And sometimes I have to admit to you, it was because I knew in my bones that it was the right thing. And sometimes it was because I was afraid of what I'd be missing if I said no. Or that maybe my career would stop in its tracks if I passed. Perhaps there was a feeling that I started late, which of course is not true, but those are the things you tell yourself. And I had a lot of catching up to do. Or maybe I was thinking that I needed to take advantage of all of these things now before all of it goes away. Or maybe also because I was so busy that I didn't have the time or opportunity to think clearly and determine if it was truly the right thing for me or for my team or for my family or perhaps most of all for my mission, which I was and will forever be working extraordinarily hard to achieve. And I'm telling you all of this because this is everything that's on my mind right now. I just turned over a decade in my life and at the same time a decade in the culinary world. And I have to tell you, I'm gonna to admit to you right now that it's time for me to start saying no. Not because it'll be easier, I can tell you that for me it'll certainly be more difficult, but so that I can create the space to know what I'm going to say yes to. And I'm gonna say no so that I can be more present as a mom, as a partner, and a friend, and a sister, and a daughter, and as a leader for my team and for our goals. I'm gonna try and be discerning with my yeses and my noes so that I can strategically direct my path in the right direction, not out of fear or obligation to anyone. I'll be sure that what I want and need is an ultimate alignment with my mission, and that is to be very, very clear to put vegetables at the center of the American plate. And that brings me to some final thoughts that I want to leave you with. And my hope is that in sharing sort of what is on my mind right now, that it might, I don't know, whether it challenges me or, or gives you something to think about at wherever you are on your path. This is what drives me every day. I believe that vegetables are one of life's greatest pleasures. I believe that vegetables deserve to be celebrated. I hope that someday my restaurants and my recipes and my cookbooks be recognized not as vegetarian, 
but simply as food that is just as much about flavor and abundance as it is about health. And that we can focus on what's on the plate, not what isn't. I know that when we cook with vegetables, when we gather around vegetables, when vegetables are at the center of our tables, when our industry makes vegetables the thought, not the afterthought, we connect with nature, we honor our hardworking farmers, we support our health, we support the health of our communities, we support the health of the environment, and we find that magic, that extraordinary magic that happens around the table with the people we love. Thank you. Thank you, Kara. We are so with you on the vegetable front. Our last speaker is Faith Durand, editor-in-chief of The Kitchen, who is here to tell us about the good parts of the internet. So I was talking to a chef, a young chef recently, who published his first cookbook a little while ago, and I really admire the chef a ton. I admire his food. But he was kind of complaining to me about something that I hear a lot, which is that, you know, the general public wants to dumb down his recipes. And, you know, I get it. I've published cookbooks, too, and I know what it's like to have a vision, and vision is everything. You don't want to ever compromise your vision in food or anything else. You know, but I, then I had to laugh a little bit self-consciously because I run a food website and like, you know, I probably am that person about to dumb down his recipe, if you want to call it that. So I mean, I just, I just don't actually accept this assumption that easier and faster it means dumbed down. It's really hard to write easy recipes, as you found out, right? You know, anyone who's written a cookbook knows it's really hard to make something accessible and make it easy. We respect chefs with visions for technically dazzling, elevated food, but easy food, the food for every day, it demands its own rigor and skill. Anyone can throw five expensive ingredients in a dish, right? Anyone can throw in truffles and really delicious things and make it, make it wonderful, pump up the flavor, but short, easy recipes by comparison are, are, I think of them as wily and muscular. They involve thinking like a grocery shopper in the frozen and the central aisles. Easy food is food that's easy to read on the phone. We're in the middle of a big overhaul of our recipes to make them just innovatively easy to follow on your phone because that's what we have in our kitchens. Easy food is honest about time and budget. And it's hard, but there are plenty of people doing easy food well. In books on YouTube, I think, is a one of the highlight places of food right now. And, you know, it just happens that my space is the internet. And in addition to those skills and that rigor, it also needs vision. And I have a vision for food on the internet. And that vision can really be summed up in three words, which is compassionate, intimate, and respectful. You know, and like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about the internet, but when you think about the internet, probably compassionate isn't like the first word that comes to mind. <laughs> but, you know, the internet, if you think about the internet, 12 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, it gave rise, it gave voice to so many people with dietary needs and special needs in their food and their eating that, like isolated communities that didn't have a voice. It took food out of the hands of a few media gatekeepers and it put it in the hands of anyone with a blog or now an Instagram. Then like 
someone like myself who lives in Columbus, Ohio and runs this big food website. And so thanks to the internet, I think we all have more awareness and we have more compassion about how people need to eat. And then food internet's a really intimate space. Again, it sounds weird, like Kitchen has 20 million readers. I don't get to have coffee with most of them. Most days I do some of them, like half my cookbook club is here. We love the Cherry Bomb cookbook. <laughs> you know, but still like, a lot of those people found me and found us because they whispered a personal problem into the most intimate space known to the modern person today, which is the Google search box. <laughs> Think about it, it's true. I mean, you talk to Google in a way you wouldn't talk to anybody. Does this look normal? Am I okay? Google's top searches are an x-ray into America's insecurities. You know, how to kiss, lose weight, make slime, tie a tie, register to vote. Register to vote is the top internet search over this past year by a mile, like, yeah. So, you know, and we ask for knowledge and permission from the internet, and it's an intimate space, and often I'm the one on the other side of that box. And that is a special space. It's an intimate space to serve and protect and say, hey, there are no dumb questions in cooking. But ultimately, I have a vision for easy food and recipes, and not just recipes, but video and memes and playful things. The internet should be a place that's magic. I came up in a time when the internet was magic and I have such a vision for magic on the internet. But ultimately, the final word here for me is respect. You know, And I have this, I have just this fierce, restless frustration with the narrative that Americans are lazy, that they're abandoning cooking, that they are dumbing down the kitchen and I mean, sorry, I'm a little emotional, but like, I mean, we know what Americans are, right? Americans are underpaid, overworked, with zero parental leave, and a fragile healthcare system, and a social safety net that is just a mess in so many places. And we have a thousand pressures as cooks and as eaters. And, you know, while food is important, life comes first. And food is for life, not life for food. For even the most privileged among us, and I'm like super privileged, <laughs> I'm a mom of two little kids and I have like a million privileges at my fingertips. Um, cooking is often a struggle and you know, we're all just trying to make it. So there was, there's a woman here in Columbus I interviewed, we do a series on kitchen called The Way We Eat. We, we talk to people just like ordinary people about how they eat and how they cook. And she works at the Mid-Ohio Food Bank, which is an amazing local institution. And she was saying how I think a lot of times people honestly believe poor people don't know what's good for them, that there's a steep learning curve of how to scramble an egg. And she said, it drives me bonkers, and it drives me bonkers too. It's not that they don't know how. It's a lack of access and a lack of time to do that prep. A pizza totally wins out. And pizza's great, you know, but still, pizza wins out, a frozen pizza wins out when you have four kids to feed and three jobs you're working that don't offer health care or other benefits. And you don't even have to be working three jobs to feel the tensions between the food you want to eat, the food that's good for you, and the food you have time and budget and skill for. And as food professionals, we need to be in the business of relaxing those tensions, not dismissing them. I just feel like, I mean, just to be like a little preachy, I mean, I'm a pastor's kid, sorry, it just like comes out sometimes, but like, this is, this is Midwest, but like, you know, I just feel like in the end, like one of the most important gifts that we can give each other as human beings is the reminder that our own voice is true and that like we know what's good for us. And so I feel like my vision of food is really to tell people to keep trusting their inner voice and to give them the easy food to make it real. So it might be dumb, it might be smart, but definitely the internet. So. Thank you, Faith. 
The kitchen is for sure one of my favorite corners of the internet. Before we get to our panel, let's hear a word about Kerrygold. Hi everybody, it's Carrie Diamond here to talk to you about Kerrygold cheese and butter. I traveled to Ireland this summer to learn more about Kerrygold, the family-run dairy farms they work with, and the beautiful cheese and butter made from their grass-fed dairy. I hung out with cows for the first time in my life. I visited a picturesque cliffside farm in the southeast of Ireland overlooking the ocean. I walked on a lot of grass. I ate a lot of scones slathered with Kerrygold butter, which is truly the color of sunshine. I learned how Kerrygold tests and grades its famous cheeses, from its award-winning reserve cheddar cheese to its nutty and robust Dubliner cheese. I also stopped by Beechmount Farm to learn how they make my favorite, Kerrygold Cashel Blue Irish Farmhouse Cheese. You should definitely plan a visit to Ireland to get a taste of this beautiful country. Or you can just visit your favorite grocery store. For more on Kerrygold, visit KerrygoldUSA.com. Please welcome Badisha Nog of Create Your Curry, Ms. Ina of Ina's Caribbean Kitchen, Jenny Britton Bauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams, and Chef Katie Randazzo of Preston's and Ambrose and Eve. Let's kick it off with Chef Katie. If you had to describe yourself in one word, what would that word be and why? I think that word would just be me because I have always been unapologetically myself. I just am myself. So, me. I love that. Not no one, explanation there, but if you know me, you get it. <laughs> no one has said that answer in the... I like a, to be the first at most things, so that makes sense. Ina, if you had to describe yourself in one word, what would it be and why? I'm blessed, because I'm in this business for 20 years, and it makes me to live the life I want to live, raise my kids the way I want to raise them, and they're very successful even working with me. So I am blessed. <laughs> oh my God, so many beautiful answers tonight. Badisha? Um, I would say it's being thoughtful because uh, when I teach my cooking classes, I want to give people an individual experience. So I tell them it's not like, you know, what is written in the recipe, you have to do that. So you can always change things and don't be worried that if you don't have this, have that. So give them that comfort. So they think I'm, you know, very thoughtful and providing them help with their own ways of doing things. That's great. All right, Jenny, one word. <clears throat> this is a, that's a hard question. I'm going to go with my favorite word right now, just for no reason except that I just love it very much, and that's meadow. I love this. I love a meadow. I just like how crazy it is and peaceful and that how you can think in a, in a beautiful meadow. I don't know. There's something about it. Plus, I'm making an ice cream that's called meadow right now. So. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> A lot of flavor in the meadow that you don't realize is there. Those are all great answers, and I'm like, meadow, meadow, okay. That's... <laughs> all right, I would love for all of you to tell me about your company slash organization slash restaurant and what you do for them exactly. Am I going first again? Yep. Okay, so I have Preston's, a burger joint, as well as Ambrose and Eve. And actually, Preston's was an accident. Matt and I teamed up about two years ago to start working on Ambrose and Eve, and our plan was to do a pop-up a month to generate buzz and create some funds to build a restaurant and to stay on people's minds while we were building Ambrose and Eve. And the second pop-up we did was a junk food pop-up because I love junk food so much. And it like just turned into Preston's. It's like crazy, crazy thing. So he and I basically have like two adolescent uh, baby restaurants right now at the same time which is very stressful. 
but I do pretty much everything. Like this morning, I worked a shift on the food truck at the Commons, and I ran errands, and I did payroll, and I answered emails, and I did phone calls, and I did a little HR work, and then I like tested a new recipe and came up with a new dish, and you know, so I do pretty much everything. Hopefully, we can get to a point at some time where we can hire someone to take a little bit off my plate. But right now, in the moment, that's pretty much my day. Messina, how about you? My day is a very long day, <laughs> hard working. We located in Cleveland, in um, Linden area. It's Jamaican cuisine. Anything in Jamaica, you can get it there as food. You like spice? You can get it. We, our, our specialty is jerk chicken, curry goat, oxtail, red beans and rice, and where we located, we mostly hire the kids in the neighborhood. Especially, they're going to school. We keep in touch with their principal. If you're not going to school, you don't have a job. If you don't have the grades, you don't have a job. And we are there now 20 years. We have two food trucks. My son have one. Ina's outer road. It was at the Commons today. I think you were behind <laughs> us. Actually. I really didn't think you were behind us. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then we have one in Cincinnati. Ina's jerk. And all of it is run by the family. My son in Cincinnati. My son here. My daughter is here. She keep us in check. <laughs> yes, but we do very good. It's a hard work because all of our food is cooked from scratch. We start 4 o'clock in the morning, and we hen at 9 at night. So it's hard work. You're in Columbus, you can stop by, 2444 Cleveland Avenue. <laughs> We're hoping from 11 to 8, Tuesday to Saturday, and on Sundays from 12 to 7. And Sundays, you got to call. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ina, what is on your job description? Is it the same as Katie's? Do you do everything? Everything. Now I'm trying to step back, but I do everything. I don't do the payroll, because women on the whole don't like to let go money. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> How? So, so I, do, I do most of everything. Iron is my daughter and my son, but I see that everything goes wrong. You get in my way, now you got to get out my way. <laughs> You know, so we're very stern, and we keep up to the community, and we try to support the community the best way we can. How is the stepping back going? You said you're trying to step back a little. Is that yes, hard? Yes, it, it's hard. It is hard, because when you get a person in there, you train them, and you try to work with them, it's like, because everything is from scratch. Restaurant work is very hard, especially when he's a woman. So it is hard. But we keep on fighting, and we are doing pretty good. We are doing well. I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. Badisha, tell us about your company and what you do for them. Um, so I moved to Columbus in um, 2016, and I don't have any um, you know, culinary background as such because I did my PhD in uh, cultural and human geography, and I was a teacher at University of Nebraska. I was a professor over there. And then uh, we moved here from Princeton. And while I was looking for a job, I was told that you, know, you have to build a network and then you know, go look for a job. And I was thinking, you know, how do I do that? 
So I came up with this idea that maybe I should teach some cooking classes because, you know, I'm hearing so many people saying, oh, you know, we love to eat Indian food and then the best Indian food we eat is in London. You know, I visited there in summer and I heard that like six times one summer <laughs> that, oh, this year I went to London and, you know, what did you do there? Oh, I ate such good Indian food. And so I figured out there, you know, people like it, but, you know, they don't have any classes over here. And I didn't really want like restaurant cooking, but I wanted to teach people more, not only home cooking, but also using ingredients what you get here. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. So I put an ad, not really an ad, just like something on um, this website called Nextdoor, where you get to you know your neighbors. You know, since we were new to the town. We were looking for, you know, plumbers and electrician and whatnot. So I said, you know, is anybody interested in you know, taking cooking classes? So in a day or two, I had like 20 people sign up. <laughs> so I went back to the lady who was helping with me, you know, with this job search. And she said, oh, wow, then you have to form a company. I said, you know, I don't want to do a business. I was just, you know, uh, trying to know my neighbors and teach them how to cook. She said, no, 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 uh, it, it has a lot of liability, this, that, whatnot. So you have to form a company. So that's how I started Create Your Curry. And one of the reason the name came up was, it's not like my curry I'm making, it's your curry. So there is not really anything that you have to follow exactly the way I do. So you can make your own thing. I'm just going to guide you and tell you, you know, what to do and what would go well or not well or however you, way you um, put it. So while I was teaching, I realized that these were like, you know, small groups of four to six people and we were talking about all kinds of things and I felt that the teaching part came naturally to me because I've been teaching for so many years and then that became like, a bigger thing that it was not only the cooking but actually the teaching part I enjoyed more than um, just you know going to grocery and buying things and all. So a little background about me is that when I was a child, maybe when I was in like first, second grade, my dad was a marine engineer at that time and me, my mother and my sister, we traveled around the world on ships and we actually came to the U.S on a ship. We were out of school for like six months at a time. Wow. So if you would call it homeschooling, that's how it was. Uh, the funny thing is, me and my husband, who is sitting right there, we went to school together <laughs> since we were five. Aww. And today is his 50th birthday. <laughs> so anyway, so... Um, Happy birthday, I, DJ. I didn't remember him, but he said he remembered me from school because I would go back and, you know, tell all these stories. So one thing when we were on ships, we were told that you cannot, you know, go to places and say, I don't eat this, I don't eat that. So we were exposed to food around the world. Whether we liked it or not, we had to eat it. So one of the trips I remember, we went to Egypt and we ate some kebabs and all, and when we came out, my dad showed that, oh, look at that. So there was camel, so we ate camel kebabs. So that's like the extent of you know what kind of things uh, we have eaten. So long story short, my uh, cooking classes became very popular. So I still do the home classes, which are a little bit more intimate, like five, six people, but I teach the bigger classes at 1400 Food Lab and the seasoned farmhouse, and sometimes you know somebody would call me for like birthday parties and all that. 
And I met so many people over there through my cooking classes. Now they have become friends, and one of them is here, and that's Erin. And she also has a group of her own, and she has brought me under her wings that we do a, a thing called Worldly Meals. Every month we go out to an ethnic restaurant. And I believe she has gone for six years now, I think. Wow. Yeah, this is their sixth year. So that's like part of an adventure we do. And I'm also part of a group. I'm a board member of a group. And we are still looking for some more volunteers. I don't want this organization to die. We just don't have uh, you know, too many people to work on it. So we organize uh, cooking classes by immigrants and refugees. So every month, we would hold a class. You know, We would find somebody to volunteer their kitchen or maybe a bigger place or something. And we find somebody from a different country, and they would come and you know, teach us, tell us about their culture, their cooking. And so we you know, gather around and exchange ideas. So it's not only just like the, you know, cooking in the kitchen or doing a restaurant or running a business. It's more of connecting through food. I never realized that food is such a great connector for anybody and everybody. So everybody eats. So there has to be some connection. So I really love being, you know, part of a community where people are very open and they, you know, want to learn new things and, you know, do things together. So how can people find out about your classes? I have a website, which I don't update very often. But my Facebook is very much updated. It's called Create Your Curry. So I list my classes over there. And anybody can, of course, you know, call me directly or email me. And we can set up smaller classes. Because sometimes you know, they would want a specialist something. Or maybe just a family wants to get together and you know, do something special for their birthday or dinner or something like that. All right. Jenny, we, we all pretty much know what you do, so I'm going to start the next question with you. Since the tour is called the Food for Thought Tour, I would love to know one food-related topic or issue that is on your mind these days. So Yes, yeah, so many. I mean, I think that it's what we eat. And, of course, my business is, you know, we're sourcing incredible dairy and other ingredients, and we really believe in that. We believe that when you give us one of your dollars, that we're going to give it to another human being who's growing, making, or producing something for us, whether that's dairy or strawberries or bourbon or whatever. But it's easy to make it look like you do that, and it's really hard to actually make that happen and work. And so I get it. It's hard to do that. But I also feel like that's something that we have to figure out and solve just where our food comes from, how we're doing it. And it's still, and it's, it's a gnarly problem. It's not going to go away fast. You know what I mean? We all have to kind of work at it and, and figure that out, I guess. And as we move from doing more cooking at home or whatever to what, you know, new eras that we're going into and we, we need help solving these problems. And Katie, how about you? What's um, on your mind? For me, it's not so much more of a, a food related issue. It's more of a, how can we get our employees working wages, right? Like how can we get people spe specifically in Columbus where we are a, a fast food test market. So people want large quantities at small prices to understand like what goes into making a dish, right? And understanding that we have to charge this amount of money to pay for this food, to pay for the electricity, to pay for the bills, and also to give our employees a working wage because it's really, really, really difficult. And I don't think people fully understand what goes into everything that we do, especially for the people who make food from scratch and are getting up at four o'clock in the morning and are getting into the kitchen and they're rolling the dough and they're doing the things. Like our time is valuable and it's, I don't think people necessarily understand that or recognize that. 
And I think that there needs to be more education about that and people need to understand that like, yes, prices may be high, but you're helping people live. And it's all a part of the same thing. It's what we pay people, whether we're buying from them or paying them to work in, in our world, in our kitchens. But it's all about how do we actually get beautiful food, like made, produced, and, and, and eaten. Yeah. It's all one and the same. One of the only things that Matt, my business partner, and I argue about is, like, I think there should be more money on the menu. And he's like, well, I agree with you, but I don't think people will pay for it. And I was like, yeah, but if people don't pay for it, then we're not going to survive and our employees aren't going to survive and we're not going to make it. So like we need to raise the price and we need to do a job and our job educating people and educating our employees who are serving the food to educate the people that are coming in to eat the food as to why the prices are the way they are if, if it's questioned at all. All right, Miss Ina, what is, what is on your mind these days? Give us some food for thought. What is on my mind these days is they look at us as business owner running a restaurant as it's easy, but it is not. Because when you go out, today you'll go out and you'll pay $10 for might be a case of chicken. But when you go back tomorrow, that same case of chicken is for $20. So you have to consider how am I going to sell this to pay my workers good wages, you know, pay Uncle Sam. That's the worst part of it. <laughs> you know, and I love cooking. I came here in 1982. I works, I job, but when I start to cook, I cook, when I'm cooking, I block everybody out because I want you to come back. And they always come back. You get the best jerk chicken, steamed fish. We do mostly red snapper. Very expensive. Sometimes they cry about the price, but they're not leaving it. <laughs> you know, because we, we put our whole body in our food. And when you're cooking, you got to block everybody out and focus on what you're doing, you know? So our seasoning is from scratch. We don't use powder, powder, powder. We use real garlic, real onion, and real hot peppers. You need some hot peppers? Check us out. <laughs> but it, 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 it is very interesting. It, it, it is very interesting. I learned a lot through this, and I pass it on to my kids, and they are enjoying the fruit of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been doing this for 20 years, and you know sometimes people in the food world don't want their kids to get into the food world. What's been your like, top piece of advice to your kids for this business? They have to know it's hard work. And if they're working with me in the kitchen and they're not producing what they want to do, I told them, this is not for you. This is not for you. One, my son is there. He's the one that run the food truck. And the one in Cincinnati, my son run that. And my daughter-in-law, we communicate all the time on the phone. Tell me how to do this. You know, you got to teach your kids how to do it to see if they really want to do it, right? But most of my kids can cook because girls, our culture is women have to be in the kitchen. You have to cook. And they said a man is your through your stomach. You you know you that's how you win him. You gotta feed him to win him. <laughs> this was in Jamaica when you were growing up? Yes, that in Jamaica when we were growing up, our custom was a woman places in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. 
you go get your education and everything, but you have to learn how to cook, how to take care of the house, see that the kids go to school, they come home, they got their dinner ready. My house in the evening when my kids come from school, it was like a party. And as they walk through the door is, Messina, what you cook today? You know, that's how we raise our kids. We raise it, the community raise your kids. Even now at the restaurant, when they walked in, they said, Miss Hales, and when I say Miss Hales, I know there's somebody who used to come to the house. So they called me Miss Hales when they walked in. But the business is Ina's Caribbean Kitchen. That's my pet name. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it's, 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 it's a rooted thing. And we try to let the community come together, you know, with the kids. Even in the neighborhood, sometimes the kids come into, into the shop. What are you doing in here? Oh, Missina, I'm hungry. Okay, we're going to give you something to go, but you cannot come back out on the street for the rest of the night. You know, we have to be a community. And food is a thing that keeps kids. You want to see a kid respect you when they're hungry? Feed them. <laughs> Just feed them, and you get the best out of them. So in our little neighborhood right there, we are the strength and we are the support of the community because we support the kids, we support the school, you know, we keep in, my son keep in touch with the principal. So if the child not doing good, we know. When they're not doing right, we know everything about the kids, we know about it. It takes a village. Yes, take a village. Yeah. All right, Badisha, what is uh, top of mind for you? I would really like to see the next generation, the kids, uh, they learn how to cook, not to be just self-sufficient, but also have respect for you know, different kinds of food, different palates, and not just be, you know, eating whatever, cup noodles and, um, you know, um, freezer meals, that kind of thing. So, uh, and nowadays, you know, it's so easily available. So they, I think they are losing more and more interest in actually learning how to cook. I'm not telling that, you know, you have to go home and cook every day, but at least you should know what is healthy and you should develop a taste for, all kinds of things. And I just have one child, but when he was, you know, he just started eating solid food, I really didn't make, or, you know, I, I didn't want to give him jar food. I wanted to make something for him, but I really didn't have time to really make something. So what I would do is whatever we ate at home, I would just put it in the mixer and make a whatever, stage three or something, <laughs> Gerber food, and <laughs> give it to his... Uh, the lady who was in the, at the daycare. So the funny thing is, one time somebody from the health department came and said, oh, what does this child eat for lunch? And uh, she said, I don't know, the mom gives food. And she said, no, you have to write down something. So she told me that, you know, from now on, I cannot give the food you gave him. I said, no, I want him to eat all kinds of things. So I don't, just don't want him to eat oatmeal and all. So. She said, okay, I'll give you the food and then give him a spoon of applesauce so I can write that he ate applesauce for lunch. So, and uh, when, you know, I went to his pediatrician, he was from Afghanistan and I asked him, you know, what, I, what should I be giving him? He just turned one. And uh, he said, hmm, maybe you should give him biryani. And I actually gave him biryani and it happens to be his favorite food. So I think you should start early so they, you know, by the time they grow up, they eat everything. And it's very, very important to me that they don't, they, they are never in a place that they don't have anything to eat. All right, we're going to go to a speed round so we can go to your questions soon. Jenny, we'll start with you. And I'm 
always the worst at oh, speed rounds, sorry. too. Okay, well, pressure's on now. Your favorite thing to make, bake, or cook? Eggs. How do you make, how do you make them? Like a one egg scrambled in a little pan. Okay. Badisha? Or omelet, omelet. Or omelet, okay. Badisha, favorite thing to make, bake, or cook? Any fresh vegetable. Especially if I, if I grow it in my garden. <laughs> I don't have a garden, I just have a container garden. So whatever you pick up, you know, I a, make it so it's all A container something. garden is more than I have, so God bless. <laughs> Messina, favorite Steam thing? Steam snapper. Steam snapper, okay. You, I'm just dying to get into my car after this and drive <laughs> to your place. Katie? Pasta. Pasta, okay, good one. All right, Katie, back to you. Culinary hero? Alice Waters. Ina? My grandmother. Mother Joffrey. Oh, love Mother Joffrey. I was also going to say my grandmother. Both of them, actually. All right, Jenny, where do you do your best thinking? Oh, definitely in my car. In your car. When I'm sitting around with others and we discuss, I mean, for Indian, especially this part of India I'm from, I'm from uh, eastern part, I'm from Calcutta, we say that we eat and then we think about food again. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think when we are gathering and we talk about food all the time. Ina? Yes, when I'm cooking in the kitchen, this is where my soul is. <laughs> all right. Katie, your favorite thing to eat or drink in Columbus that is not connected to you personally or professionally? Okay, so I know this is a speed round, but uh, I embarrassingly have a very strong love of Taco Bell. And Chef Avishar at Service Bar makes this like bomb-ass adult cheesy gordita crunch with brisket, and it's amazing. So I'm going with that so I don't feel super trashy. <laughs> We did pass by White Castle headquarters at one point today, and I was like, wait, is that the White Castle headquarters? And I was disappointed that they didn't have like a turret or two on the top of the headquarters. I thought that would be kind their, of funny. Their old headquarters used to have pictures of people who went through great lengths as like a hall of fame to get White Castle, which I always thought was really interesting. <laughs> All right, Miss Ina, what's your favorite thing to eat or drink that you do not make or your kids make? My favorite, we don't do a lot of shrimp, lobster at the shop. So I love to go out to Red Lobster. <laughs> I do that because we don't do a lot of lobster, but we do chicken, fish. So when my favorite is to go to Red Lobster and just enjoy what is there, Aww. especially their lobster. Good. Padisha? <laughs> any kind of fish at any restaurant, any cuisine, like you know, different varieties. You are easygoing. The chefs love you <laughs> in Columbus. All right. Jenny, tough one. Cinnamon roll. We talked about it last oh, night, but I just roll. feel like everybody's got a cinnamon roll, and they're all awesome. When I grew up, I grew up in Peoria before I moved here when I was 12. And in Peoria, and some places in Ohio, and some places actually here in Columbus, like Windward Passage, you can get cinnamon rolls still before dinner. So, like, I love it because I feel like, well, at least in Peoria, in the middle of Illinois, it was like, the Shire. It's like, that's what I imagine hobbits eat before dinner, too. And so, like, I feel like sort of like, that's the thing. But anyway, the cinnamon roll game here is pretty great. We had one at Fox in the Snow, and it was pretty spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Windward Passage is, like, kind of epic and amazing. If you haven't been there, you should go. Windward Passage? Fridays, though, for yeah. cinnamon rolls before dinner. Yeah. It's, like, stuck and in a two-hour wait. Yeah. It's amazing. We've got to come back here for like a whole week. It's, it's a, This is a lot to cram into I'll like two guys, days. I'll take you guys around. Okay, food crawl. Yep. All right, we're going to open it up to questions. Who's got a question for us? Who wants to start? 
Erica, come on over. Hi, my name's Erica. Where's Preston's tonight? Today is it? It's Thursday. Preston's tonight is inside of Woodlands Tavern and Woodlands Backyard. We are the chef resident uh, inside those kitchens. The truck is not out, but big news, we are going to be opening our first brick-and-mortar Preston's in Franklinton, spring 2020, so that's very exciting. Uh, DJ Nog, Bidisha's husband, turning 50 today. <laughs> so I am uh, an investor and uh, we invest in uh, startup companies and uh, right here in Columbus, Ohio. And I also am a teacher working with the Dublin school system and teaching young kids how to be entrepreneurs. So my question really is, you know, it's really hard to be an entrepreneur and it's even harder to be an entrepreneur who happens to be a woman. So my question to all of you successful entrepreneurs here is, what would you advise a young girl who wants to be an entrepreneur? Because as an investor, I can tell you, one of the hardest thing is to see a woman entrepreneur, especially in the tech arena, but it's true in every arena. So I'd love to hear you know, some of your thoughts, your, your motivation, I guess, to girls who want to break that and become an entrepreneur. Great question. I mean, the numbers for uh, the amount of venture capital that goes to women versus men is really depressing. I think it's like over 90% goes to men's projects. Anybody want to tackle the question? Any oh. advice for would-be entrepreneurs? Um, first of all, sorry, Mom, I'm about to curse. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. There's a lot of stuff stacked against you. So the more self-assured you are, the more confident you are, the more you can take the more times you can get beat down and stand back up, the better off you're gonna be. And it's sad that, it's really sad that we actually have to say that and that that actually happens to us as women. But you have to be strong and you have to have like a will, like the strongest will to be able to like withstand some of the stuff that you'll go through as a female entrepreneur. Have a good plan, have a good head on your shoulders. And if someone tells you no, don't give up, just keep going. I'll just add, I, this, the, this is what I tell every entrepreneur that is to start small and build. Don't, don't go too fast. I mean, uh, that's how you build your own world and you're not beholden to somebody else's ideas and values and, and so on. Just start little. I mean, it's hard. It's, you know, I spent 15 years where you're at, you know what I mean? And, but, but when you start small and build slowly, then you get um, to build the world that you want to build. And that is like the only thing fun about being an entrepreneur. <laughs> I think Ina, that's really solid advice also. Ina, you've been doing this for 20 years. You have to go with your guts. And when they tell you no, you decide, I'm not going to take no for an answer. Because where I am right now, we bought that place and it was sitting there for three years before I get a loan. And when I get that loan, that man called me every name in the book, the builder that the, to re, re, remodel that big place. And as a woman, I have to stand up. Women, we have to stand up for your rights. And what you want, you make sure you get it. When they come to you with something else, uh-uh. I tell them, oh, no, that's not what I want. And he looked at me and he said, so what? I said, you do what I told you to do. <laughs> And I was firm. I was firm. When we opened the first day, we made $69. That's the first day when we opened, $69. And I got to give God thanks. We are growing. I, 
everybody asks me to open another business, but it is hard. It's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work. It is very hard. And women, you go out there and you push. Don't think you get to stay down here. No, I can go up there with you, rub shoulder to shoulder, right? So we have to do that. We have to put our best foot forward. And when you make your first hundred, don't go spend it out. <laughs> Save 20 out of the first hundred, and then you spend the rest, okay? I need you on speed dial. <laughs> Little inspiration coach for when I'm building Cherry Bomb. All right, anybody else have a question? Hi, I'm Laura, and this is for all of you, and Faith and Kara and Paula also. So at some point, all of you, this is my question. At some point, all of you decided to make a leap. You had been on a path that maybe wasn't feeling right, or food was where your passion was, and you just chose to abandon maybe the safe path and take a risk. And I was hoping you might be willing to talk a little bit about how you knew it was time to do that, how you knew it was the right thing to do. Thanks. Kara, you want to do that? Yes. So I can remember there was a moment for me when I saw the head of the company I was working at. And while I was really inspired by him and I loved the work that I was doing, I knew I didn't want to run that company. So I started thinking, well, this is not where I'm imagining being. And this isn't feeling like my path. And I better start to figure out what is that path. So, and I think I had always felt like I maybe had some kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I can remember looking for jobs and I'd do all these searches and it was like, I knew I needed to make a change, but I didn't know what the change was. And I'd look for jobs and look for jobs. And it felt like just changing the job didn't feel like it was gonna fix whatever was in me that felt like I was on the wrong path. And so between that, sort of seeing that I didn't want to reach that sort of move up in where I was at, I started, you know, trying to find out what that path was. And I think what's really tricky, in particular in the food world, but in many different industries, if it's not a really clear path, and you don't know how to take the steps, you just have to start taking steps. And I think I waited for a really long time, both because it's scary, right? But also because you think that you don't, you don't know how to do it. And so for me, and that's what I was talking about, you do have to start saying yes and start sort of opening yourself up. And for me, I led with my interests and I just started following my interests. And even if you don't have that passion, that thing that, you, you know, I feel really lucky to have the passion, it's both can be a burden, but also, you know, I feel lucky that I have that. And if you don't have that passion, that thing that you know for certain you wanna do, I think you just have to sort of follow your interests and curiosity, you know, to figure out where that takes you. And I think the path will start to become more clear. But it's certainly not easy to take that leap. And I can remember really specifically, there was a moment where I thought, God, I have this amazing job. I can pay my bills, you know. I feel lucky that I got to go to college and to, you know, study and, and take, get into something that I really thought that I had always wanted to do. And how could I, how could I leave? And I feel very connected to my ancestry and my great-grandparents and people who took a risk and left Italy and Croatia to come here. And I felt at the time thinking, how can I, they came here to give me a better life. And now I have this wonderful life that they couldn't have even imagined. How could I leave this? You know? And I remember somebody at the time said, I think actually they were a risk taker like you. And so, so I, so I took the leap, but it's hard. It's not easy is really hard. And you just have to have as an entrepreneur, I think the confidence every day 
to say I'm I'm doing it. I'm making it because you it, that can only come from within you because it can be lonely. You know, there's that came up earlier. You just have to remind yourself and give yourself the confidence and the strength to keep going through. But taking that initial leap is really tough. But I think when you do it, you start to see signs that you're on the right path. And then you reach a point where you realize, okay, I got to redirect a little bit to make sure you're ultimately staying in alignment with your vision and your mission. Thank you to our speakers, our attendees, and to Jenny Britton-Bauer and her team at Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams for hosting us at their HQ. And a big thank you to Kerrygold for supporting our tour and providing us with beautiful butter and cheese at each stop. Our show was produced and edited by Jess Seidman. Thanks for listening, everyone. You are the bomb. 